and hello to you and welcome to the motivation podcast from motivateyourself.co.uk i'm richard nichols and i'm here to guide to teach and to motivate you to be the best you can be guess what i've been creating these podcasts for so long now that we're up to the magical 100 episodes and as a special treat I'm publishing a new one every week this month. So, if you think that every Monday is the way to be, as I'm regularly being told by my lovely listeners, then you're in luck. As although today's Tuesday, all the others will be out every Monday morning in July. And the topic for the month will be on happiness. The things we should do that make a happy brain, and the mistakes we make that actually make a sad brain. I will do my utmost to keep it football free. You may be pleased to know. It may sneak in if it's appropriate, and I'm going to mention it slightly, uh, but I doubt it'll feature much after today anyway. Had England performed better in the World Cup, I may well have been talking about sports psychology and confidence, but I think I did that fairly recently anyway, and I did something about the Olympics in 2012, so um, actually there's something more recent than that. If you remember that episode, I think it was the New Year's one. You'll recall it was about the importance of enthusiasm and passion leading to a better performance, hence with... 40% of all Uruguayan children under the age of five living in the poorest 20% of Uruguay's households, you can understand how a country with only three million people in it can find good enough football players to trample over a country with 50 million people in it. Growing up, those kids playing football had a lot more to win than just pride if they worked hard. Anyway, as a side note, there's a a bit of interesting psychology that crops up during sporting events. And that's this is what our brain does to try and steer ourselves towards happiness. It's an automatic ability to disassociate ourselves from a losing team and associate ourselves with a winner. If you watched it, you might not have done, you might have done, but the very first England game was against Italy. And I watched it at a psychotherapy conference in London, where I was given an award, actually, from the National Society of Hypnosis, Psychotherapy and Mindfulness, um, whom I help out from time to time for services to the profession. So get in! I'm an award-winning bloke now. Not just any old bloke, you know. Anyway, here's the psychology bit. I heard many people before kickoff saying things like, I think we can win this, or we've got a good team this time. Things like that. And after they lost 2-1, I heard things like, they did the best they could, and it was a good game, but they lost. Not sure whether you picked up on the differences there, but the pronouns changed. It's well known, you see, that when a team is winning, the team is referred to as us, or we. We won, we're great, that sort of thing. We identify with the winner and jump upon their successes as if they're our own. But when they lose, we separate ourselves from them. We refer to a team as them, not us. They lost. They're rubbish, that sort of thing. And these processes actually have a name in psychology and are called burging and coughing, which sound a bit like bodily functions of some sort, but actually stand for basking in reflected glory and cutting off reflected failure seems it's it's human nature to want to be grouped with people or teams that do well and we want to disconnect ourselves from those that fail 
And we do this quite accidentally. It's not intentional. It's instinctive. It, it's deep within us. There's a lot that we're born already knowing. Like children, I mentioned this before, children born blind will still frown when angry and smile when happy. And that's not learned behaviour as they've never seen a smile before. They haven't even felt one. They don't know what it is. They're too little. But the genetic memories built inside of us all say that when we're sad, we frown. And when we're happy, we smile. And I want to go over a little bit about the way our body language influences our mood today, because there's been quite a bit of research over the years into it. And I'm quite keen on research, as I like evidence that what I teach people is right. Because if it's not then I need to teach people something else. So when someone comes to me with depressive issues and um, upsetting or miserable stuff and they sit there with their knees close together, their hands on their lap, and they stare at the floor, you can see their body mirroring their emotion. Well, the good news is that it also works the opposite way around. Our body may be influenced by our emotional state, but our emotional state is also influenced by our body. And there's been stacks of research that has shown this. A recent study, and I'm sure I was talking about it recently because it's quite, I love this. Uh, it was by Amy Cuddy at Harvard University. Oh, I was talking about it in my self-esteem month back in October, yes. They tested people's body chemistry with saliva swabs and then asked them to act small and powerless or big and powerful. And what jumped out at me is that the, the small and powerless poses looked a lot like people sitting with smartphones, actually. Which is something to bear in mind. Anyway, I've mentioned this before, as I say, so that this was sometime in October. Go back if you want to hear more uh, to the previous episodes, but I'll quickly go over it again now, as it's very useful to know. But they took saliva swabs again after two minutes of people doing these different poses, either small poses making themselves tiny and insignificant, or these big poses where they stood up straight with the chest out and stuff. And they found that the powerful pose group had higher testosterone and lower cortisol. And the powerless pose group had higher cortisol and lower testosterone. Now, if you don't already know, cortisol is a chemical our body produces when we're nervous and testosterone is one we produce when we're feeling in control. And conducting some practical research on the back of all that showed that you're going to perform better in certain situations like job interviews if you've been doing these powerful poses for two minutes prior to the interview. It just means standing up straight with your head held high and your hands on your hips, Wonder Woman style, you know, or sitting back with your feet up and your hands behind your head, just, you know, feeling good about yourself. It looks that way and your body tells your brain that you feel good. Remember that if there's something your body does when you're in a particular mood, then doing that something is going to steer you towards that mood. I mentioned this before about smiling, haven't I? We know from experiments done by getting people to try and write with a, with a pencil in their mouth and then rating how funny some cartoons were, that if we use the, um, the zygomaticus major muscle in the face, which is the one we use when we smile, then we boost our mood and we find things funnier. So watch what you do with your facial muscles if you're frowning and you're using the, the corrugator supercilii muscle, which is Latin. I'd Googled this. It's Latin for wrinkle above the eyelash. Uh, corrugator supercilii. Hmm, wrinkle above the eyelash. Uh, it's where they inject Botox, actually, for people who want a frownless forehead. So if you use that muscle and you frown, then there's a strong chance that you're influencing your mood. 
So force a smile on your face and make it as real as you can. Not an air hostess fake smile, hello, have a nice day, but a real smile. And you will boost your mood. In another study back in 2009 in Ohio, participants were asked to hold one of two postures during an experiment. To either sit in a slumped position or sit straight. While holding the specific posture, each group had to complete a mock job application. That to include their strengths and weaknesses relating to the job and record it in the application form. They then had to rate themselves as whether they thought that they were a good candidate for the job or not. A tricky experiment to do is you can't lead people, you know, like with the, um, the pencil experiment, forcing a frown or a smile onto their face. They had to make a task of using the pencil by holding it in their teeth or their lips and underlining letters on a sheet of paper. You can't just say, watch this cartoon with a smile on your face and see if you find it funny. It's going to lead people and you know the research won't get published. So it was the same in this Ohio experiment. The participants were told that they were taking part in two separate research projects. One organised by the business school and the other by the School of Arts. According to the cover story, the business school was interested in investigating factors contributing to job satisfaction and professional performance. And that was apparently interesting to everybody. And the School of Arts was said to be examining the skills required to portray another person as an actor or actress, which included the ability to maintain a specific body posture while engaging in other activities, which was then the business school study. So participants were asked, do enact this particular body posture? while simultaneously listing positive or negative self-attributes relating to their potential professional success. And the results showed that those who had the slumped posture were not only less confident in themselves, but they also scored themselves as less suitable for the job that they were applying for. Okay, it was only a mock, but if they were real, they'd be doing, they'd have the same opinions, giving us further confirmation that your body can strongly influence your feelings and attitudes and subsequently your actions in life. There was a similar experiment undertaken before this that involved mental arithmetic. And it showed that when we're slumped over, we feel less confident at answering maths questions than if we're sitting up straight with our chest out. And there was, though, a caveat to this, there was a strange occurrence in the results that showed that certain people had the opposite effect. And when the researchers investigated what was different about those people, they found them all to be women with big boobs. Seems that if you're quite well endowed in the old mammary area, sitting up straight and sticking your chest out makes you feel a little self-conscious, and so has the opposite effect. So bear that in mind. So what practical things can we do now that we know all about this? Well, imagine you're sitting at your computer screen. And the font is very small and hard to read, so you squint. In the process, you activate the corrugator supercilii muscle as previously mentioned. But you continue to read in this position and before long you start to feel a little stressed. And your stress leads you to make silly mistakes, which in turn leads to more problems and you then begin to blame what's going wrong on the buggy, frustrating, underperforming computer you've been working with and continue blaming everyone and everything else for your crappy day. But it all started with a frown. So notice your frown straight away and address it. Relax those eye muscles. Create a more productive work with a smile and a happier facial expression. Now how about this scenario? Imagine you've got a speech to give at a wedding. 
You've spent the last 20 minutes looking through your notes on the table, staring down at these tiny words and frowning at them with your hands on your lap, trying to get as much of that speech committed to memory as you can. And when you stand up to make your speech, you feel everyone's eyes upon you and maybe you've never liked being the centre of attention, so you try and trick your mind into thinking that there's no one looking at you by not looking at them. So you do the speech, staring down at your notes on the table, with your hands tightly clasped in front of you, and you feel dreadfully nervous and you mispronounce words uh, and mispronounce names and say, uh, and um, way too many times. You're desperate to get the speech over with, so you speak at twice the speed you normally would and you rattle through it as fast as you can, feeling more and more nervous each second before finishing off, sitting down, breathing a sigh of relief. And that's as much stress as a human can take in a month there, all crammed into a tiny speech. Well, how about instead, when you go through the notes beforehand, you're leaning back a little, with your hands on the table, holding your notes that you have with your chin up, with a smile on your face. When it's time to make your speech, you easily look around the room, pretending to look at everyone as you start speaking with your notes in your hand in front of you. And you speak slowly and clearly, with a smile on your face, and you pause every now and again to glance at your notes. And every time you do, the more familiar the words seem to you and you feel excited to be the centre of attention for a few minutes. And you, you confidently deliver your speech with not a frown in sight. Now, doesn't that sound like a better idea? Not only does acting this way lead to a lot less stress, but it also leads to a better belief in yourself, a boost in your confidence and your overall levels of happiness. Well, I choose that one, please. And all it can take is a little bit of positive body language to get it started. Let's go for that, shall we? Well, seeing as I'm making a new episode every week, I don't want to overload you with too much, so I'm going to leave you for now. And I'll be back next week with another episode based around how we make ourselves happy, and it's probably going to be about doing the right things, unless I change my mind between now and then. Either way, I'll speak to you next week. Bye for now.